Hi there, um, it's Phoebe. Uh, welcome back to the second episode of uh, Product Talks. Um, I just wanted to start this with an introduction to add a bit of context. Um, basically, this this episode is going to be on neurodiversity um, and how the interview process is within companies as standards set up to disqualify as opposed to qualify candidates and with that it makes interviewing as a neurodiverse person really challenging um there's a lot of reasons for this um, and my lovely guest Martin goes into a lot of detail and explains really really clearly why that is and how that is um, but I wanted to jump on before the podcast because one of the biggest things that we spoke about and one of the most important things is communication and asking how can I facilitate you um, and this podcast was actually a massive learning step for me because in reality I did not ask Martin how can I facilitate this interview to make it like make it so that you can succeed basically and make it so that you know it's not designed to trip you up um and you know with that I there was a moment where I angled a question wrong and it was binary and it meant that the conversation came to a halt and that was because I didn't facilitate the interview in a way that was kind of geared towards making it more acceptable for someone with autism, ADHD, um, whatever it might be. I just didn't ask him. Um, So I implore you to really listen to that. Um, Listen to that moment because it was a learning moment for me um, and I hope that it can be a learning moment for you as well. Um, You can hear it in the interview. I didn't want to take it out because I thought it was a really good example of where we're going wrong. Um, So I had that, I had that experience and I'm so grateful to Martin for for kind of talking through it with me after and explaining it to me after. Um, So yeah, I I hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, I hope that it's something that you can learn from. I I loved speaking with Martin. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited to share this one with you guys. Um, Thank you for coming back. Thank you for joining me for the second episode of Product Talks. Um, I'm just going to go straight into it. I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Great, thanks. Good, good, good. It's lovely to have you on um, and catch up again after such a long time. It feels like we've been waiting forever to get in contact again. Exactly. Now we're here. We are here. We are here. Um, I guess, you know, we should just crack straight on. Um, Would you like to start by introducing yourself for the sake of the listeners and just talk me through a whistle stop of your career thus far? Sure. Hi, I'm Martin Gospar. I'm a product management consultant and I focus on product leadership, neurodiversity and scaling customer engagement with conversational interfaces. Mm-hmm. Cool. Amazing. Um, and obviously the, the topic of conversation that we're discussing at the moment is uh, neurodiversity. Um, would you like to share with the listeners um, an insight on your situation as it stands when we're talking about neurodiversity? Yes, so I've been diagnosed with ADHD at age 8, and at Mm -hmm. age 30, I was also diagnosed with autism Mm -hmm. and dyspraxia. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, So what challenges do you think you faced um, as a result of that, just on the sort of outside look of it, when you were first breaking into the industry um, as a product manager? Well, I mean, I'm not sure what the challenges were where I was breaking in. I was... 
I always faced challenges, but mm-hmm. I didn't know why.、Mm. I was because for me, I am just me. Yes. <laughs> so I did. I didn't even know I'm autistic. I always felt I'm a little bit different、yeah. to the other kids, as I didn't understand certain things and they didn't understand me exactly.、Mm. Of course. But. I was always fine. Like it's not like I was hated. Yeah, of course. No, I understand. I think when we discussed before,、um, what was an interesting thing that we touched on is that、um, a lot of what product management is is to do with、uh, social cues and cues from people,、um, and that's something that you perhaps have interpreted a little bit differently during your experience. So I wondered whether you could touch on that. Like when we're looking at. Product management as a career choice,、um, and then the specifics of,、um, sorry, autism and ADHD in that sense.、Um, how you how you sort of would apply that to your experience of being a product manager, and if there were any differences or challenges that you faced as a result of that. Yeah. Sure. Would you be able to, to talk in a bit more detail、um, about that?、Uh, yes, I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough.、Um, so I guess maybe we can start with、um, just the day-to-day role of being a product manager, what that encompasses, and then what you think was perhaps more difficult, what was easier as a result of your experience as a neurodiverse person. Okay, so as a product manager, you really need to understand, of course, where the value is, what what. People want、yeah. to what they say. Of course. So one part of it that I think is not necessarily challenging but mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. is stakeholder management. Okay. So there are some product people, especially at larger companies, that、yeah. are kind of asked to be really diplomatic and appease all stakeholders at all costs. Yeah. Well. That is not one of my strong suits. Sure. It's not that I'm not diplomatic, but、yeah. my brain is wired to go through logic and、yeah. reason, and I'm always trying to look for the best solution. Yeah. So if if people want to do something for a promotion that actually harms the company, that、of、just、course. doesn't sit well with me. Of course. So naturally, I'm I'm really tend to look at. Get to the bottom of the things. First、mm-hmm. principles: what the root cause of the issue, and start building a solution from there.、Mm-hmm. So opposed to there, there are many different ways to manage stakeholders.、Mm-hmm. One way is to try to be really diplomatic and not、mm-hmm. disagree with them. But there's another way when you're really trying to understand with the best of intentions what they actually want. Yeah. And figure out something that would work for them. Yeah. So the way I tend to manage stakeholders is 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 with sheer logic and really、mm-hmm. really trying to come from a good place to understand what they what they mean what they actually want yeah and try to figure out solutions for that yeah opposed to small talk and chit chat. <laughs> I think we all hate small talk and chit chat, don't we? Right, <laughs>、um, amazing. To others. <laughs> I don't necessarily well, hate it.、Do. I'm just sometimes I'm a bit puzzled by it. Like, why, why are you telling me something that you don't mean? I know you didn't have a bad day because we had a really bad release yesterday. Don't know. Fantastic. <laughs> Tell me what's wrong, and I will do、yeah. my absolute best to help you. 
I think arguably what maybe my wording was wrong to begin with, but I think arguably um, that could I mean, and probably has been a huge benefit to your way of working because being straight to the point, uh, maybe you can cut out some of the white noise. Would you suggest that's that's correct? When you're talking about um, stakeholder management, you just go straight to the issue, which I imagine will be a time-saving exercise, if anything. Yes, I mean, a lot of the senior stakeholders are very highly paid people and don't actually time yeah. to chit-chat, so that's, that's a massive time-saver. But yeah. also the other thing that's also really crucial is... When mm-hmm. we talk about innovation, yeah. people want to have more and better ideas. That leads to radical innovation. That's one of the key yeah. benefits of diversity as well. Well, actually, yeah. neurodiverse people have a different brain. Their brain is physically mm-hmm. structured differently. So yeah. that means that we are very likely to have different ideas. So mm-hmm. most meetings where I attend, I'm able to to join dots that no one else seen before. And I know that without me, even in 10 years, they wouldn't have seen that solution. So if you actually are looking to to beat the competition, to come up with really good ideas and to to serve your customers at a really deep level, if you don't have mm-hmm. neurodiverse people on, on your team, you're missing out. You're missing out on ideas, of you're course. missing out on money, you're missing out on innovation. Because you put mm-hmm. a bunch of same people in the room with the same education, <laughs> same background, they're gonna come up with the same idea. Guess yeah, what? Of the competition already has those ideas. What you want mm-hmm. is the edge, and that comes from yeah. diversity as well as from neurodiversity. Do you think you would be able to pinpoint like some individual exa- individual examples of where um, the your no- neurodiversity has um, Im- implemented a physical benefit in a company, for example, with regards to like um, when we're looking at the commercial side of things? Because obviously that's the common point, isn't it? When we're talking about diversity, is that we shouldn't be doing it just to look outwardly diverse. We should be doing it because there is kind of a financial benefit when you're looking at like a business as well. Like the diversity is what gives you the edge. Um, so do you have maybe a specific example of where that's that's kind of happened in your career, would you I say? Mean, in my last project, they wanted to hire me full time to do something in two years. And I said, mm. hire me as a contractor and then deliver the project in two months. <laughs> One month, they started having benefits. They, get, they got a 30% improvement in customer engagement. And they get a seven yeah. times uh, in, uh, improvement in their click-through rate getting 5,000 extra candidates just within a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean, it's nice to have like a tangible statistic to attach to it because it's the common theme that I'm hearing from everyone is that diversity is obviously so important to make a product better. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to hear in a previous role where that's actually sort of been a tangible thing. I think it'll be interesting for the listeners too. Um, obviously, what I what we discussed before when we were talking about doing this podcast as well was like, interviewing um because obviously at the end of the day this podcast is going to be a tool for people to kind of improve on their own practices um so obviously you're interviewing at the moment aren't you is that still the case uh, yeah at times so i, I do consulting yeah. as well but i do yeah, interview for for leadership roles as well i'm really picky because i really need to have a company who wants to be the best and who wants yeah, a leader who who will enable that culture that that yeah. will help them thrive yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably, 
I mean that's the case for me as well I would say <laughs> um but yeah I wanted to I wanted to touch on that so the sort of interviewing process um you know we were talking before about how it wasn't perhaps the most inclusive for neurodiverse people um in your experience would you be able to talk me through um perhaps where companies don't necessarily kind of make it easier or make it fair for people who are neurodiverse and ways in which people could improve yes yeah, so this is a big question so i need to um pedal back a little bit okay absolutely so, you go for it <laughs> even from the attraction point of view a lot of companies are not there having a diversity yeah. and inclusion policy without actions behind it is not going to convince me and I'm simply not going to apply because I know that uh, you're not actually genuine. You're making that as, a, as yeah. a corporate or PR stunt and it is not going to help me. Exactly. After that, the the selection process itself is broken. Uh, I, what I yeah. feel is a lot of people and hiring managers and recruiters as well very narrow-minded yeah so i need a SaaS product manager who has dealt with x industry well well there are industries where specific subject matter expertise is essential in most of them this is not the case and if you're only looking for previous experience as a predictor for future success what you're going to leave out Mm -hmm. is people who have really good transferable skills actually do a job mm-hmm. better or at least as good and plus have a different perspective which would give them the edge to do it better but you're not even going to mm. get them in and talk to them because there's you you just simply disqualify them based on their differences now 2.4 percent yeah. of autistic people go through higher education i can't I don't even know from those 2.4% how many of them could go through a really elite university like Oxford or Cambridge. Actually, if you have the elitist mindset, you are not going to find diverse people because we are just straight off disqualified A and B, why would I want to be with people who just don't understand that not necessarily the best school give you the best minds and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to do schools what i'm saying is narrowing down your selection and picking from those schools especially in product management i think it's a really old-fashioned way of looking at it and you're probably going to lose your best candidates I mean, yeah. how, many, how many engineers yeah. are self-learned? Well, product management is very, very similar. So we're starting off yeah. with neurodiverse people having a really different background. I mean, I jumped to different jobs and startups and, and the industries before. So we are, not, we are not being attracted to the role. We are not being selected to the role. And we haven't even got to the interview stage yet, right? Then we get yeah. to the interview stage. And all the hiring managers, not all of them, sorry, but quite a lot of them, they just think they're Freud. They think they can read body language, they can read facial cues, mm. and I'm sorry, but that just doesn't work mm-hmm. on neurodiverse people, especially not on autistic people, because my face doesn't yeah. always do what I think I do. My body language is totally different. Yeah. Now, if you're the person who's <laughs> ignorant enough to think, you're not being a psychologist, you're not analyzing me, I'm in a high-pressure situation, and you think that you can judge me accurately and make good decisions based on that, I'm sorry, but 
you're just simply deluded yeah. and you're going to <laughs> disqualify me for something that is not irrelevant. Also, there's yeah. also yeah. a really common phrase that I hear and it's such a good blanket to disqualify someone saying, oh, you're not a good cultural fit. But actually, when you push yeah. and you say, okay, so what is a cultural fit? They cannot articulate it. Because if you actually can articulate what a cultural fit is and you have a really, really well-defined one, you probably are actually looking for a cultural ad, not a cultural fit, because you're self-aware enough that you know that you need diversity. Yeah. But if yeah. neurotypical people setting up a neurotypical interview process, they don't even see where they're going wrong and they're just mm. simply going to feel uncomfortable or disqualify you because you're acting slightly differently. If you're looking yeah. for a cog to fit in a place just, just to slot in, you're not doing product management. Mm. At best, you're doing project management and probably not really well. Because yeah. if, again, if we're doing innovation and we want more and different ideas and challenge perceptions and really deeply understand the customers from all different point of views and come up with innovative solutions that no one in the world has ever done before, which is what really yeah. successful businesses do, then you, you, cannot, yeah. you cannot afford a cog. Everyone can replace a cog. That's, that's not what you want. What you want is brilliant, unique individuals at all levels in your tech team, from, from designers through engineers through product people and all your other stakeholders to enable that and have the culture to help them thrive. Yeah. So what do you do to make the process more inclusive then? How do we manage, like speaking particularly on neurodiversity, how do we manage and engage talent that is neurodiverse or how, how do we go about that? Is it a grassroots issue where we talk about changing the wording of a job spec or is it the process, um, perhaps looking at work samples or trial starts? What would you So it's everything from, from changing the job spec, but not just saying we have a diversity and inclusion policy, but say how you actually act on it and show, show, yeah. show me that there is a culture that I could belong not just survive in there for the money because I'm, I'm sorry but people at this level in their profession they, they're not looking for simply a paycheck they're looking for a purpose they're looking to somewhere to belong in a good good place to be like a mission absolutely yeah then if we go into the interview process well there isn't one standard way that you can just make every interview process inclusive for everyone because people have very different needs some people with dyslexia, mm -hmm. for example, um, feel are, are not very good at responding on the pressure. So what you need to do is you yeah. need to ask them a question and you need to give them some time to think. And this is just not dyslexic people. It can also apply to introverts. It can apply to a range of people. If you have yeah, someone who's autistic, then you have to define the things that you're actually looking for and you have to disregard stuff like tone, facial expressions, body language, because mm -hmm. again, you cannot really judge that and you have to be aware that you cannot judge that. You have to reuse your biases and you have to accommodate people every step of the way. It's mm. partially, I'm not even sure what's the right way, whether you should <laughs> get people to admit that they have something or 
just try to create a process where no one's really excluded. There are there are issues with both of them, right? If you're telling me to yeah. tell you what's wrong with me, well, first you have to. Or, well, sorry, there's nothing wrong with me. How am I different? <laughs> because we we are different, yeah. not less. So, if you want to yeah, tell me course. that I I should volunteer that information of which. A lot of my neurodiverse uh, colleagues don't do. That's partially why I do my videos and awareness campaign to help shine light to this and empower of others. Course. But if you, if if the company haven't convinced me, I'm not going to open up, and we are already starting off in the wrong foot, right? If you're trying yeah, to cater to everyone at every single scenario, then you'll then it it just kind of impossible because we have really our needs someone with yeah well i mean how do you go yeah, about that? That, that that's just a range of range of disabilities and difficulties and um, challenges that we can't tackle with one way so it's not easy but one thing that we can start with is we can try to eliminate most of them by giving people time and space to think by phrasing interview questions mm-hmm. in a really different way to make them inclusive mm-hmm. for example autistic people have a really literal mind if like in my video yeah. as i showed it as well if you ask me which ice cream do i want chocolate or vanilla I, do you want ice cream chocolate or vanilla i will say yes i will not say a flavor because the, it was a binary question <laughs> do i want yes you and other <laughs> yeah. people understand the underlying intent behind your question. Initially, I don't. It doesn't mean I would never get there. Yeah. But I would have to think about that. If you're in a high-pressure, yeah. quick-paced scenario when we're having an interview, I will not have the time and space to think. So therefore, it's your job as an interviewer yeah. to ask me a question in a way that I'm able to respond well. Let me give you an example. I was... Mm interviewing for this uh for this unicorn startup from a really reputable product leader and she asked me a question in in a way that it just wasn't going well down well with my brain because it was it was a binary ranking question and it wasn't very relevant at the moment i wasn't able to discern yeah. that it was a pressureful situation and i just got a mini meltdown mm. and i thanked that i thanked that interview <laughs> i'm pretty sure her intention wasn't for me to thank that interview that wasn't my intention as well but because of the way that question yeah. was phrased and because of the line of questioning that happened on it i was what to do it and yeah. else and yeah well this is the thing isn't it it's the challenge of an interview situation is that it's traditionally set up to disqualify people as opposed to qualify people so the line of questioning you know the way that it's set up it's set up to be a high pressure scenario maybe less so now that we're on zoom and we can have our jammy bottoms in a shirt <laughs> and you can be in your home um but i think like the reality of the situation is that the challenge of the interview setting is that it's set up to disqualify people as opposed to qualify people and potentially when we're looking at neurodiversity it might be a case of opening it up giving people more room to succeed changing the way we do things maybe having more takeaway tasks that you have to complete um or like i said maybe a trial starts even so that people can see how you interact in the workplace would so you agree? i would agree to some of the things you said i do think that the core of the problem is that it's a disqualification rather than a qualification problem progress and i i don't yep. think 
or I think that it should be aimed to be a qualification progress for all people, not just neurodiverse people. If you're yeah, looking for for the best part of your talent and you're, you're really trying to understand how they think, which is in product interviews, one of the key thing is how does your brain work? Then you need to give people a chance yeah. to show you that because that, yeah, of course. that is what they will do during their job as well. They will actually put their best foot forward yeah. because they'll have enough time and enough space, hopefully, to do that. Now, the okay. take-home and... tasks, probably, I think it depends on the seniority. I personally don't do take-home tasks anymore. Oh, really? When I was junior, I was happy with it. But if, if a company really thinks that a product leader is going to tinker about with take-home tasks, I'm just not going to bother because I don't think that they understand my life and the things that I've gone through to be where I am at this point. Yeah. So if you're a junior PM with like a year of experience, I understand. Yeah. What I do like is uh, tasks that you do on the spot. Mm. So like I have to do a case study right there and then I'm mm. really loving analyzing their business and coming up with different solutions and, and taking them through that journey of how I discover the problem and how I go through that. But actually asking me to spend a lot of time at home, like I have a day rate. If yeah. You pay that, it's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry, but that's just not something I'm willing to do. I think this is a common theme for people at the moment is that because we're interviewing remotely and you are unable to get a feel for a person in the way that you might be able to if they were to come in and you would be able to spend a day with them and all of that good stuff and it's all done via Zoom. There's a lot of contention over this sort of take home task and whether it's actually just a tool for companies to get people to come up for ideas with ideas for them for free um, and I'm hearing this a lot um, and it's difficult because it's interesting that you touched on this um, sort of working meeting style which I'm seeing a lot more people do um, and a lot more candidate preference over that as well because you're there and then you're getting a feel for whether you can work with them when you're coming up with a task together and working out uh, a solution um, it's interesting to hear that you've had that experience and that's a way that works well for you also I am seeing the industry lean in that in that direction so that's good um, is there anything else that you've seen people do or that you've experienced when you've been interviewing that has been yeah like yeah actually that really worked for me I really enjoyed that well one of the things that's really difficult for me is to judge whether I would actually fit in Mm. That company or not mm. so having even though it takes a bit more time mm. but having some some time with with the senior stakeholders i would be working with and just getting to know them a little bit more mm. i think it's quite good because i have the ability to judge whether i would get on with these people or not because the worst thing you can do is go for a job, start working there and realize that, well, actually, although the hiring manager was great, three other people, we're just never going to get on. Of course. And as a product person, you really need to be autonomous and yeah. supported. And having that understanding of the culture and their ambitions and having the ability to ask tough questions from those stakeholders that are already working there, it's really good. For example, mm. I always like to ask them about the difficult decisions, some of the difficult key decisions they had to make and how they handled it. Yeah. That shows uh, their moral campus, their integrity, and that's, that is a predictor for me as well on what are we going to do when I'm going to bring them a really difficult question that I'm actually 
really certain that we need to do something radical about it, otherwise the business will not survive. Yeah. Will they have the balls <laughs> to go through and and do a radical change, opposed to having really interested in hearing me out and then going the wrong direction? Yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting because I think that's probably the case for everyone, not just neurodiverse people. That you know, when you're interviewing for a job, can you really be certain that people are going to be working in the way that you want? And that's the same for everyone. Um, so I think, yeah, I think people oftentimes forget that the interview process is just as much for the candidate that, uh, than it is for the client um, or the company that people are interviewing for. I think people kind of get a bit blindsided, particularly people hiring for roles in product where they think, well, you know, we're the only company in the planet, and this person isn't interviewing at loads of other places and it's not for the candidate, it's more for me. Um, and I think if we just took an overarching approach of being more inclusive and making it more mutually beneficial, the process, then potentially we might end up having sort of, I don't know, I think it's long-term better for building out good teams and good products, uh, potentially. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and even if you just want to drive it down to, to the losses, one yeah. of the most expensive thing a company can do is lose an employee prematurely. absolutely it costs three times like three times the yearly salary i think to <laughs> lose someone in the wrong place like why don't you just set up i understand it's a hassle to set up a good interview process in the short run yeah but in the long run if you're if you really want to build a culture that lasts if you want to build a company that lasts you have to treat your people well, you have to choose your people well, and you have to give them the time and space to excel. Yeah. If you set up a process that already bias, that doesn't show off your true values, that's mm. uh, just rejecting the people who would actually fit into your company. Of course, short-sighted. You be surprised, yes, that, they, that they're going to leave you after two seconds. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't they? I understand that there's a pandemic and I understand that job market is affected, but good product people are still in really high demand and if companies think that they're the ones that they're choosing mm. a bit of a, there's a bit of a disconnect there i feel mm. trust me i know good product people are hard to find i recruit in product and it has been a challenge like the people it, it's one of the industries that including sort of developers like really top tier permanent developers where I think from a from a sort of company perspective, you know, there's loads of people out of work. It should be easy to find people. You know, people are lucky to get an interview where in reality, good product people are in high demand now more than ever. Um, so it's just, I think, about altering the view of the industry as it stands because it's not the same for product management as it is for potentially other in industries. Um, you know, it's, it's a difficult one, I would say. Um, Absolutely. And think about the trends. Look at yeah. all the digital transformations. Even companies who were really afraid of it are just yeah. have to go through. Yeah. Now, how are you going to run a digital transformation in a company that's already a little bit conservative and afraid of it? If yeah. You don't find really good talent. I no. understand you can find 20 product people, but can you find the one who will actually shepherd you through this really Absolutely. process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, great. I mean, that's, I mean, all of that is really interesting. Um, I'd also be interested to hear about, you know, talking about the interview process is one thing, but when we're talking about continuing to have a work environment that is inclusive for neurodiverse people, are there specific tactics that you have seen employed by people that have been really successful in the workplace? And likewise, are there things that people do that are less helpful? Um, is it just a culture thing and you, and you know from the beginning 
beginning whether it's going to be okay or are there ways that people can improve i know that's a lot of questions in one but i think that's, it's all encompassing that, that's a lot of questions let me talk in, <laughs> let's talk in the culture yeah i will try to navigate through the other <laughs> worst interview technique ever <laughs> that's okay so <laughs> essentially you can't have diverse people and not give them voice yeah right but how do you do that well the way to do that is to give everyone voice not just yeah. the diverse people of course and essentially you need to set up a culture where i like to talk about this in in the context of you stress the the positive mm-hmm. stress and when people are really engaged or in that state of flow mm. so if you actually have a a culture where people bring their whole selves where people are empowered and uh employee voice so talking about uh negative things or challenging things in in a positive light so that yeah. when you're when you're actually raising an issue to solve it and those conversations are facilitated and they are promoted when when the whole culture is set up that set of that people can just say what they want and other people will uh take it on board and debate it and you can have this heated sort of passionate moment when you're really trying to argue your point and other people are building on your arguments that's yeah. when you're going to have um an environment where it's going to be ripe to come up with really good new radical ideas and to challenge the status quo all the time and to really build of course now to build that it's is the culture that has to be psychological safety there has to be really good facilitators as in for example the product people who can run these meetings and there needs to be an appetite from management as well opposed to the old school management where executives just came up with the ideas there has to be a genuine will yeah. to understand that best ideas comes from people closest to the closest to the source So this bottom up idea generation facilitated by the product people constantly interviewing users and understanding their needs and involving the designer and the engineer as well in the interview process and and coming up with the discovery process they're all very very key. Yeah. Now let's say you have this culture. Let's say you have well you may not even know how many neurodiverse people you have in the company because I can assure you they are there. <laughs> you may you may not even know and they may are not even comfortable talking about it or they may not even know females yeah. are very very underdiagnosed in autism and it's more difficult to diagnose females in autism right there's a, there's a stigma in the in the medical profession where it's really difficult to get a diagnosis if you're female i remember it's, reading that it is but just, yeah. look i'm a really self-reflective person yeah i am a psychologist and i only diagnosed my autism at age 30 yeah. this is not easy this no. is just uh, th- there's a reason why a board of psychiatrists are giving a diagnosis but mm-hmm. the point is that it's not the diagnosis that matters what matters mm-hmm. is the actual acts of how this come out so if mm-hmm. you have an employee who has any sort of um difficulty with any of the areas it doesn't have to be tied to a diagnosis you just may be really bad at emails yeah. may may not be really good at online uh, or zoom calls or anxious about the camera or you cannot yeah. work in a high noise environment it doesn't matter whether you have a diagnosis or not what matters yeah. is 
that you have an open, clear line of communication and you start talking about how can you together overcome it to make sure it works for everyone. Yeah. One thing that happens a lot if and, and the reason why I've started creating videos and talking out on, on autism and neurodiversity is yeah. because when I say I'm autistic, people don't know what to do. And 85% of autistic people feel that even when they come out and they talk about this, they don't know how to be handled. Yeah. Do you feel like people change the way that they then talk to you? So they talk to you in, in, as though they were just talking to their brother, their sister, their whatever, and then you say, oh, I've got autism, I've got ADHD or whatever, and then, they, and then they change the way that they interact with you, would you say? So I think a lot of people have assumptions. They saw Rain Man and now they know how to treat me. Yeah. Opposed to asking me, okay, so what does that mean? How yeah. how are you different? And is there anything I can do differently? And is there anything yeah. you could do differently for us to communicate better? Mm. If you have good colleagues and a good culture, if you're just a decent human being, what you would do <laughs> is you would ask, how should we facilitate this? But a lot of yeah. the times there's a stigma around that people don't dare to. And it's not that people are bad. People really aren't bad. It's, I'm, I'm not saying that they're, they're evil because they don't know how to deal with autism. It's just an experience, I think, I think. it's an awareness issue. And that's why I'm yeah. dedicating so much of my time to raise awareness. Absolutely. But one of the easiest things you can do is when people come out and tell you that they have something, autism, ADHD, whatever, and you yeah. just ask them. All you need to do is ask them, okay, so what does that mean? What, what should we do? How should it be different? And if you yeah. have a work environment where people are openly communicating about this, and they're a bit, they're willing to accommodate any of this, um, any of the differences, whether people are on any spectrum mm-hmm. or not. That's when you're gonna have uh, a working culture that is yeah. inclusive, where people belong, and where idea generation, innovation, will spark on and and just fly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I mean, it's amazing. And actually, you know, something that I'm discovering through this podcast and having chats with people is that the through line is communication. Like, that's all it takes to make some someone more diverse and inclusive is just to speak to the people that are affected by it and come up with a way to make the workplace just better and fairer for them. And the only way you get there is just by communicating. That's always the bottom line of it. Um, Companies always think, oh, we need to make accommodations going to cost me millions of pounds. No, what it's going to cost is a couple of conversations. That's all it takes. It's like we need to... Yeah, I think it's a lot of the time is that we need to come out with this outward facing policy, which makes us fit with the industry standard of being diverse and inclusive. But actually what they're doing by doing that is completely neglecting the benefits of being diverse and inclusive and what a company can gain from having a diverse workforce. Um, that's overlooked, which is insane. Um, team I think... is, is greater than the sum of its parts, right? You have to have yeah. neurotypical and neurodiverse people as well as of other course. diversities and everyone working together towards the common goal that's when, that's when you're gonna win absolutely yeah um, well thank you for chatting with me i have one last question for you um for companies who are listening to this podcast thinking you know what well, actually i haven't even considered this 
um, what small step could they take from from you? What would your first piece of advice be to them to take away and to start to start off the process of making their company more inclusive for a diverse neurodiverse workforce? Would you give one big piece of advice, and what would it be? Well, everything probably is set up for neurotypical people, set up by by neurotypical people. So they're not yeah. even seeing what the differences are. Getting yeah. a consultant like me or ask some of their internal neurodiverse people that mm-hmm. is is the culture really right for belonging? What can I do to to, yeah. to be more honest, to be more open, mm-hmm. and to work better together? Because all you want is good collaboration and ideas yeah. to flow. But try to promote that somehow. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, you have resources, don't you? You're creating videos, um, yes. informational. A lot of your podcasts, you're going on a lot of podcasts discussing it. Is do you want to share with the listeners where they can access that? Um, obviously, I'll share the links in the in the description as well. Um, but if you could share where your resources are, because I think that would probably be a good place for people to start. Um, and follow me on LinkedIn. Okay, cool. Okay, amazing. Well, we'll put both of those links in the description below. But thank you so much for having this chat with me. It's been super insightful. I feel like I've learned over the course of the conversation. Um, and I always love speaking with you, Martin. It's always really insightful. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Great um, to be here. Thank you. Martin, thank you so much. Bye. Bye. thanks for coming back for a second episode um i'd originally planned on doing these things monthly but actually as it stands we're looking at more like every wednesday so that's the goal we're going to be releasing every wednesday i really hope you enjoyed um listening to martin talk um like i said at the beginning really insightful for me so i hope it's helpful for you as well um he's got loads of resources which i've linked below so if you ever kind of want to hear from him um he's more than happy for you to reach out on linkedin he does consultancy work as well um so yeah um get at him on linkedin but thank you for listening um and we'll see you next week